everybody, it's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0, coming to you following week one kicking off in the National Football League and week two right on our doorsteps. Lots to get to, to break down, to talk about, and to preview as the Minnesota Vikings, your Minnesota Vikings, get set to face the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday Night Football. All of this comes after a fairly uninspiring performance uh, for the Minnesota Vikings as they stumble out of the gates in week one, losing to Tampa Bay 20-17. to Doesn't get any easier as they encounter a short week and the defending NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to talk about both of those games, the Vikings lost to the Bucks and the Vikings week two game against the Eagles. We're going to talk about the rest of the NFC North. We're going to talk about some injuries and lots of other news, notes, and nuggets from across the National Football League. Now, the we in that equation is yours truly, Wabi, but also my co-host, Giles, who we bring in right now to see what's going on. Hey, Giles, how you doing? Hey, how we doing? Happy Thursday. Uh, what a rough week. Uh, we, we dropped the ball literally and figuratively this past Sunday. But thankfully, when I think it look, uh, look at all the things that went well and the things that did not go well, uh, mm-hmm. we can build on the things that did go well. And I think the things that didn't go well are fixable. When you think yeah. about, you know, is there a problem here or did we just do things wrong? Right. Uh, yeah. Was it was it a process issue or a results issue? And I think a lot of things just did not go our way. Um, maybe we'll be proven wrong, but I really think all the things that did go wrong are fixable. There's a lot of really good things to like if, you know, to, to try to put a positive spin on a realistic outlook. I think yeah. there's some really good things that we can build upon. Yep. So and, excited for this. Uh, and, and I agree with you. And if folks listening are here and their um, perspective and focus is on the Eagles and they don't want to look back too much on the Bucks, this is going to be the episode for you. We're going to spend uh, the bulk of our time today talking about the Eagles, but I think you make a good point, Giles, that there are things that you need to learn from and use sort of as inspiration uh, from that Tampa Bay game. Uh, you can't completely ignore it as much as you probably wanted to do after mm-hmm. such an uninspiring performance and with a short week on the horizon. You wanted to uh, flush that Bucks game out as fast as you could. I think there were um, things to observe and things to learn from that game. So we're going to start out um, with that in mind. I think um, when I look at this from an offense and then defense perspective, let's start defensively, Giles. Okay. I think really the only thing walking out of the building last Sunday, which I was, um, I was in the in the building for the game, and mm-hmm. I gotta say, ordinarily a raucous environment. It's loud. It's uncomfortable for the opponent. It didn't have that juice and that buzz, mm-hmm. and perhaps mostly due to the performance from the home team, which was not um, exciting or great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'll say, looking back on it, I think the defensive performance was actually fairly solid and respectable, all things considered. I agree. Okay. So a couple of the things I really liked, and we're going to get into the PFF data, the individual performances, and then how that sort of uh, came together to create the team performance on defense. Mm-hmm. We saw from Flores what everyone hoped they were going to see from him Mm -hmm. and from the defense. We saw pressures and blitzes and aggression. Um, And I'm sure you have the specific numbers on that. So that was good, I think, and a welcome sight for Vikings fans. Um, Key drives that led to scores, one of them at least came off of a turnover. So Mm -hmm. the Vikings turn the ball over and the the Bucks get a score. Now, as a defense, you have to be good at 
sudden change and defending a short field. So not letting the Vikings defense totally off the hook there. But, you know, there are some key turnovers for the, for the Vikings. One deep in their own end that resulted in a buck score. And then the Vikings turned it over right before halftime in the red zone. Um, so the defense kind of put behind the eight ball there by some of those turnovers by the offense. The Vikings only allowed four first downs in the first half, Giles. Yep. Um, so I really thought the Vikings defense was holding up its end of the bargain, particularly in the first half. And then mm. for the game, only 2.2 yards per carry allowed by the Vikings defense. So, yep. which is second um, in the league this far. Was it? Okay. There you yeah. go. So those really were the four key takeaways for me defensively. in what was, I thought the silver lining part of the performance was the Vikings defense, which people are expecting to be better but are still worried about it i thought it was the best part of the performance uh from week one so your reaction to those points giles and then i'm sure you're going to want to get into some of the pff stuff uh, on an individual level so take it away yeah absolutely so i think uh the first thing i really want to point out is the contrast between 2022 and 2023 because i think yeah. some uh, vikings fans that i knew watched the bucks game and tried to point out all the issues which there are plenty of issues that we'll talk through here um but i think Going into this this season, I think we both agreed that for us to be successful as a team, we need to either at least stay on par or improve offensively and not be a train wreck defensively, right? That yeah. was the main objective, right? Bring in Fly Brian Flores and get back to at least middle of the league. And I think I think we're we're doing that. I mean, when you think about it, they were amazing against the run. They had the second fewest uh, yards per rush attempt at 2.2 in the entire league. Uh, I think they give up the seventh fewest yards, period, in the entire NFL. Now, obviously, that's a one-game sample size, so I'm not meaning to say wave the flag. They're the best in the league, but they weren't a train wreck, right? They were great yeah. against the run. They were pretty decent against the pass. I think they allowed the third fewest yards per play um, at 3.6. They allowed the 10th fewest first downs and the seventh fewest rusher, uh, rush yards. So like they are not a train wreck this far into the season. So if we can at least continue this, be okay in certain contexts, uh, you know, and, and not, not be a train wreck in others, I can absolutely deal with that as long as we can put points on the board. And to your point about Brian Flores, we did lead the entire NFL last week at a 55.3% blitz rate, which yeah. is significantly different than what we faced in 2022. Uh, clearly, we know that the the secondary isn't necessarily a point of strength for us, but I think we can overcome that if we're able to really go and blitz it. I mean, you were seeing a lot of different looks coming from Brian Flores, but I think... Um, one thing that may need to change, and we can talk more about this later, is uh, how we call them. I know there was rumor that uh, Baker Mayfield yeah. was able to, to call out what plays were happening and was able to read it. Now, whether that was insider knowledge or we were just not being sneaky enough and we were, we were giving them our playbook in real time, that cannot happen again. Uh, that cannot happen again, period, full right. stop. So right. you may have more intelligence about how teams go in and stop that, uh, but that's a pretty significant issue. Yeah, and th they were talking about the headline was about Mayfield sort of figuring out what the signals were, you know, yep. and <clears throat> that's sort of a double-edged sword. I, I thought it was curious that Rashad White made that comment. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the player who sort of said it, and that's how it became a headline. Uh, mm -hmm. His Bucks running back Rashad White was like, yeah, Baker figured out the defensive signals. So, you know, everyone's trying to do that. You know, mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out the other team's signals. I mean, it's... It's not cheating. I mean, it's it's they're yeah. doing it out in the open on their sidelines. So I mean, mm -hmm. you, <laughs> I mean, you try and do that when you go scout games. You know, you send scouts to games to watch. Now you can't film them with your. You know, you can't pull your phone out and film them. I mean, that's that's 
breaking the rules, but you're watching the other sideline and you're being like, when they do this, this happens. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't find that as like a, whoa, like huge red flag moment. Um, okay. but you should be able to get through a game without the team figuring out your defensive signals. So it's still, you're right. They got to find a way to maybe to be a, a bit sneaky. More secretive. Yeah. But, and I'm diverging here a, a little or digressing here a little bit, but like, if you're Rashad White, why say that? I, I mean, that was my thought. I mean, because I assumed that all teams try to guess other people's play calls, but the fact that they felt like they had the actual game plan made me question all of it. Yeah, and it's like leading up to Week One, Patrick Peterson said that about about Brock Purdy. Mm. He Patrick Peterson said, "I think they're. I got a feeling I'm going to have a an interception in this game. Like uh, they're uh, they give away some things." Mm-hmm. He, Patrick Peterson said that before the game against the Steelers, the Niners-Steelers game. Peterson's now with the Steelers. He said that before the game, mm-hmm. and then the Steelers got torched. Yeah. And Peterson didn't have a pick, and Purdy was standing up at the podium after the game, and a reporter asked him about one of the touchdowns he threw, and so he was going through the play, and he's like, yeah, and, and I think that was on Peterson, wasn't it? <laughs> So, like, <laughs> why are you even talking about that? So, same with Rashad yeah. White. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're now to bring this back to the Vikings, Giles, um, and I'm going to talk about this exact thing. I have this in my notes when we're talking about the Eagles here in a little bit. Yes, you got to be unpredictable. You got to disguise. You can't have your signal stolen, right? No. So. The Bucks did the Vikings a favor. Rashad White did the Vikings a favor by broadcasting to everyone that they figured out their signals. Yeah, it's embarrassing that that happened to you, but now you know it happened. You know, yeah, that's very true. Now you can know to go fix it right away. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, so new terminology yeah. or something, <laughs> whatever it was—a signal, yep. a terminology, an audible, a check, yep. whatever it was. Tampa figured it out, and now they they took advantage of it and beat you. But they did mm-hmm. you a favor by telling you because now you know. That's right? very true. So, Much better now than week six if you right. can continue to lose. Right. And so the Eagles happen. are sitting there being like, well, dang, like, I, I guess we're not going to be able to steal their signals this week. Tampa blew that for us, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Come on, man. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, so to finish your point or, or to move on to the next one about the pressuring, I did see that. It was over 50% of the time. That's what Vikings fans want. I don't think that's what every matchup will warrant, Giles. I think mm-hmm. there are – like, I don't – I wouldn't blitz Patrick Mahomes very much. He was the number one quarterback in the NFL last year against the blitz. you got to be mm-hmm. measured and calculated uh, mm-hmm. when you do that against Mahomes. And I think to a certain extent you got to be the same way with Hurts because he can hurt you. If you're going to give him a zero blitz look, you're going to go man coverage across the board, zero blitz. Mm-hmm. That's That's – quarterback scramble territory man i mean you you can't be cavalier and negligent when you do that because hertz will run for 100 yards i so, completely agree so you got to be uh, measured and careful when you do it against uh hertz so i don't know if i anticipate that to be in the 50s again in terms of percentages uh but i do expect them to be uh relatively aggressive so i'm well, excited to see what that looks like yep i do too and i don't know if it'll be over 50 percent or not either guys but i know it will be more than ed donatel did last year a hundred percent hands down yeah. no question about it all right and uh moving on to the the data uh really yeah. excited to see what came out here from the minnesota vikings when it comes to pff if you yep. had to guess who it was the top rated pff player you might have already seen this already but no, who was the best not. best player on defense I, I have uh, it was someone that was really excited to see pop back up if i'm giving you a little bit of a hint 
uh, from 2022? Well, there's two players that I would have guessed. Actually, three. And one... All right, so if I... I would say Harris, uh, Harrison Phillips. Harrison Phillips was fourth. Uh, he had a okay. 71.6 grade. How about Harrison Smith? Harrison Smith uh, actually was a little bit less. He was actually 10th uh, uh, on team. Uh, he had a little bit of a down week in terms of what I was expecting. He had a 63.5 grade. Yep. So uh, I, he was 10th. I didn't see him doing a whole lot so that would have surprised me but you said i was excited to see him bounce back up so i'm like i wonder if like pff saw harry with like a you know found the fountain of youth in the brian flores defense so that wasn't it uh yep. tonga tonga did have a good game he was yeah. sixth on the vikings depth chart in terms of uh, pff grade at 67.5 but definitely so, not one yet. So I was excited about the interior of the Vikings defensive line. I thought it was pretty good. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm watching the game back. Uh, I'm watching it live, and then I'm going and watching it back. I I, I find a it's a more thorough viewing experience when I'm watching a game on TV. When I watch it on TV, and then I go back and watch film of it, I feel mm -hmm. like you get a really complete, solid picture of a performance. Mm -hmm. When you're watching it in person, you really just got to pick one or two things to watch, yeah. and that's really all you can see. Then you go back and watch the tape. So, um, I, I I thought that Tonga Phillips interior of the Vikings defensive line gave Tampa some fits on the interior, and I think that's probably what led to the low yards per carry uh, total mm -hmm. for Tampa. Um, yeah. Is so I thought I thought that's um, you know a good indication of things to come for the Vikings defense. Um, yeah. Tell me how. Um, t tell me who the top three were though, from a PFF standpoint, individual level on the Vikings defense. So starting with three, going up to one, the yep. third was Josh Metellus, a guy that I've obviously been a huge fan of, a safety now captain of the Minnesota Vikings. He had a seventy-two point two grade, was amazing in tackling, uh, pretty good in the run defense, pretty good in pass rush and coverage. Uh, played fifty-seven overall snaps, so there was a little bit of a committee there, um, but uh, did phenomenally. Uh, exactly what I want out of Josh Metellus. I think he has a bright future for the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, he just got paid, so really exciting to see him earn that money. Uh, so yeah. really, really excited for that. So that was a good, good job on his part. And then moving at number two guy, I'm really excited about Ivan Pace Jr. The second yeah. overall uh, uh, rated defensive player on the team, 75.0 grade. He had a 90 grade in pass rush. He had an 80 grade in tackling. Uh, yep. Considering this was his first NFL game and he's about two inches too short and went undrafted, if people remember correctly, this guy did phenomenally. And I'm really, really excited to see him build upon this because he is pretty much uh, above average or elite in every category except for run defense. And I think that's mostly because he's just an undersized dude. But in non-run downs, I think this guy is going to be a, uh, quite a force here for years to come. Really, really excited about that. So uh, Ivan Pace Jr. quickly making his way into the lineup. And before I get to number one, I want to call out Brian Asamoah. Something yeah. very, very concerning to me, and I can't figure out the best pulse. I've heard of uh, uh, a few different reasonings why, but... Brian Asamoah had a 38.4 grade in the game on Sunday, but it's important to note he got two snaps. I was he just literally only say played that. two yeah. snaps, one in pass rush um, and one in uh, in run defense. And uh, I just I don't get it. I really well, really don't get it. Why would he play two snaps? Is okay. that is there a culture issue going on? Like I know he was a little upset that Ivan Pace Jr. is now getting starter reps, but what's going on? I can only think of two things. One is he missed time in yep. camp, right? Mm -hmm. 
I also think, I mean, we were excited about Asamoah. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was like we really thought he came on well last season playing not starter time but showing the ability to perhaps be a starter. Like he was a like a rising contributor in the Vikings defense. But I think yeah. Ivan, Ivan Pace Jr. came in and just took it. Yep. <laughs> took I mean, I, you know, yeah. So concerning – it's good for the Vikings defense that Ivan Pace is good enough this early in his career to play a lot because it yes. just it just accelerates his development. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part's good. And if it comes at the expense of Brian Asamoah pl- doing what we thought he was going to do, that's okay. But if you're just, you know, a key member of the Brian Asamoah fan club, like you're you're bummed out. He only played two snaps. So mm-hmm. let's see though what happens. Um because what if he plays twenty this week and then forty next week? We know it was a ramping up process as he came off of his injury and got mm-hmm. a little bit of a delayed start relative to everyone else. So I, I don't know. Because of the positivity of pace, I just am, it's almost a non-talker for me that mm-hmm. that that's where Brian Asamoah is. Yep, um, I agree. I'm not totally casting him aside and disregarding him. I want him to play well, and I want him. To, I mean, he he'd be a really cool rotational player for Flores to throw in there. I mean, yes. on passing downs and and weird sub packages, he'd be a key part of that. So uh, hopefully everything's okay with him, and and he's back on the field and playing well. Yep, completely um, agree. And that moves on to the number one overall defensive rated player. Unless you had another comment. No, I think I think I am figuring out who it was. Um, oh yeah. I think it's a guy that I actually did sort of give up on. Is it the other safety? It is the other it's safety. Cam Bynum. Cam isn't it? Bynum. What a stud coming in in wow. an eighty-two point five grade. Did good for him. Amazing in every category. I mean, when you think about his rookie season, he ended the season at a seventy-eight point three grade in twenty twenty-one, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, this corner turned safety. He's taking the world by storm. Let's yeah. do this." And then good in twenty twenty-two, took a severe step backwards. If I'm being completely honest, uh, he ended the year at a fifty-eight point seven grade. Uh, he was really bad in coverage. His pass rush was was pretty bad. He did a pretty good in tackling, but he had a he had a big step backwards. So we're like, "Oh man, was it just a?" a a weird rookie season, and now we're getting back to the norm. But he has bounced back, at least in the first game. So I'm really excited if he can continue this on because we've talked about this a lot. But Brian Flores uses a lot of different safety looks. And if we can have yep. at least three to four solid safeties and a lot of different uh, personnel sets, this yep. is going to be phenomenal. So I'm really, yep. really excited about Cam Bynum. Super proud of him. Cam Bynum, Josh Mertellis, um, and And there's a chance that maybe even Harrison Smith was put into kind of an illusionary capacity where people were trying to take care of Harrison Smith and where he got a little bit more of a dirty work type role, knowing yeah. that he would not play well to put those other guys in a position to succeed. So uh, I think we played well defensively across the board, if I'm being completely candid. So uh, if we can continue that on and, and Cam Bynum's a piece of that, I'm really, really excited. Okay, very quickly before we move on and talk offense, Giles. Um, yeah. Let's go through the corners. I want, yes. I want to know the PFF grades for those guys. Okay, so uh, let's see here. We are going to start with a Caleb Evans. Yep. Do you want to guess or do you want me to just give you a go? Uh, we, uh, so he a had, Caleb uh, Evans. Yeah. A Caleb Sorry, Evans, I, I would have said okay. Like, yep. I would have been like kind of middle of the road, trending up. Like, he was all right. Yep. I would say the same thing. He had a 59.6 grade, so not great. Uh, he had 62 yep. snaps. Uh, 26 of them were in run defense, 36 in coverage. Uh, so 
Uh, I do want him to improve. I mean, if we're going to be completely candid, but uh, I, I think based on the secondary last year, I think we could have expected worse. So I really hope he can take a step forward. But uh, yeah, slightly below average, but okay. Okay. And then let's move on to Makai Blackman. Moving on to the next one. Hmm. I don't have as strong of a feeling on his. Um, I don't think he did anything. Like, I don't think he was challenged nor do I think he did anything great. So I guess I'd say middle of the road to him as well, but lower than Evans. Yep. Uh, so he was actually our highest rated corner uh, okay. on, on Sunday. So he had a 64.2 grade, which is also so not phenomenal. Higher than Evans. Yep, yep definitely higher than Evans. Uh, and did pretty decent in coverage. He really stood out in tackling. Uh, run defense was meh. Uh, but he only played 15 snaps. So as a rookie, uh, I think there's maybe going to be a kind of a ramp-up period for him. So I recognize NFL speed is something that's really hard to get acclimated to. So I'm not going to completely write him off. But uh, I really think uh, that if he can... Improve some of those uh, those things uh, when it comes to coverage. I think he could get looped in a lot bit more. Uh, I want him to get more like 30, 40 snaps instead of 15. Uh, but yep. in the limited snaps that he got, uh, I was I was not uh, offended by his performance. Okay. Um, and then so moving Murphy. on to Byron Mouf- or Murphy Jr., exactly. Yep, yep. Um, I think he was on the field for every snap. That's my guess. Um, yep, 68 total yeah. snaps. Um, I'm trying to think back. Did Evans score on him or did Evans score on did Mike Evans score on a Caleb Evans or Byron Murphy? I want to say that was Byron Murphy. Yeah. So yep. I'm guessing that's going to hurt. That's going to ding his grade quite a bit. Plus, he was yep. out there all the time. Yeah. So yep. he's probably underneath Evans. Uh, actually, he is just below Makai Blackman. So uh, I would okay. say Brian Murphy Jr. played very well in a lot of categories, except for tackling. Uh, he had a few missed tackles that were pretty big, so he got a 29.7 grade in tackling. But yeah. overall, he did get a 63.4 grade. So uh, I think we've known this about Byron Murphy Jr. Uh, for the past offseason, but this is a guy that's not boomer bust necessarily, but he's a guy that shows up in big moments, and there's a few scenarios where he did not show up. So I'm hoping he can get, get back to true form. Um, but at the end of the day, if you told me that all of our corners were at least in the 60s to 70 ranges, I think I, I would have said I'm okay with that. Like, if you have to pick one or the other, like, I think there's a chance that this could have gone significantly worse considering the receivers yeah. that were on the field against the Bucks. So the fact that we weren't complete train wrecks gives me some optimism. So I think all in all, uh, there's there's some upside, but definitely not something that we're, is going to be a strength of our team at the moment. Okay. All righty, uh, let's move on to offense, unless there's anything else you had on the Vikings' defense. No, that works perfectly. All right. Offensively, um, disappointing, I think, Giles. Uh, okay. Playing at home, week one, lots of time to prepare. Cousins, two years in a row with the same coordinator. I know. I knew going into the game that Tampa's defense was good. The veteran core was still there. Mm-hmm. But I just thought there were opportunities for the Vikings to take advantage of them, especially over the course of 60 minutes. Yep. I didn't think Tampa's offense was going to be able to serve as any sort of reprieve to you know for Tampa's defense, and they, they really didn't. I mean, they were good enough to score 20 points and win the game, but I, I think the Vikings offense, of all the units, Tampa offense, Tampa defense, Vikings offense, Vikings defense, of those four units – I think the Vikings offense was the least impressive, the most disappointing. Um, I think there were struggles up front with the offensive line. They got nothing cooking in the run game. Um, 
pun intended, uh, with no Dalvin <laughs> Cook. The... I think the thing that happened that was like, well, I'm not, you know, let's not jump out of the, you know, the the tenth story window here was, you know, they got they got the ball to Jefferson, mm-hmm. and because of that, uh, Jordan Addison scored a touchdown. That was 100% because Tampa was obsessed with Justin Jefferson on that play. Yes. There was a route concept between Jefferson and Addison that coaxed Tampa three Tampa defenders to follow Jefferson, and Addison mm-hmm. just ran free vertically down the field, and Cousins threw a dime to him, and it was a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And that um, those events transpiring that way, I looked back at that, and I was like, that's people are going to see that on tape and be like, this is trouble here. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whether it's Hawkinson running free, Addison running free, Osborne, people are going to run free because Jefferson is such a problem. Yeah. And it's one thing if you're letting J like if your next best option is Jalen Rieger, mm-hmm. you know, like that's not really going to hurt other teams very much. But when it's Addison or Osborne or Hawkinson, like that's, that's going to be a problem. So, that sort of gave me a little bit of a positive feeling uh, coming away from the game. Other than that, Giles, offensively, I thought it was very underwhelming. That's totally fair. I think uh, when I first watched the game, I definitely had the same opinion. And taking a step back, I looked at the data, I rewatched the tape, and I think my perspective did change a little bit. And tell me what you think about this, because I don't want to be just a, a positivity guy for the sake of positivity. I want to make sure we're evaluating what went well and what didn't. Yeah. And Looking at the positives, we were actually third in yards per play as a team throughout the entire NFL. Like, if you would have said that to me during the game, I would be like, no way. Like, we're sucking right now. But Uh in the entire NFL, we were third in yards per play. We were sixth in total yards. Uh, We were actually second in total completions. We were fifth in completion percentage. So in terms of actually moving the ball down the field when we actually had the ball, we actually didn't do too bad because that's the part I really wanted to, to call out. In the first half, we were second in total uh, possession time for the first halves. Uh, we were, you know, uh, second ranked uh, in terms uh-huh. of most time in the first half. When you get to the second half, we were 31st ranked in uh, possession time in the second half. So we did not get the ball at all, really, uh, in the second half. And I think that really affected our ability to put points on the board, really. And part of that leads into holding onto the ball. Like uh, we had severe issues in that capacity. I think those three turnovers are the primary reason we didn't win the game. That's not meant yes. to take. Uh, yeah, you know, responsibility off the other things that went wrong. But if you really had to point at one specific thing and have it be very binary, turnovers were the issue. If you remove, remove turnovers, we win the game, period. Now, obviously, that's revisionist history. Uh, but I think that's an, an important to call out when evaluating the offense. Is it, all right, we didn't win the game. Is it time to light it all on fire? Or yeah. did a few things go wrong that are highly fixable? And in my opinion, it's more fixable. Uh, but beyond that, Obviously, injury was another really big issue because um, when it came to Ezra Cleveland uh, playing well, but then Bradbury getting hurt, that really put a pretty significant impact on our ability to move the ball. Our interior pressure just skyrocketed. Uh, so uh, that's something to be concerned about. Uh, obviously, yep. uh, Christian Derisai had a little bit of an injury issue while we were there as well. He had his lowest PFF-graded uh, uh, game in his entire NFL history, um, which we'll get into the PFF data here in a little bit. But I think when it comes to injury and penalties and turnovers, that was the biggest re- reason we didn't win the game because in every other category, we played well. Uh, we were, we, at least when we played the bucks, uh, in total yards, yards per pass attempt, yards per rush and third down success rate, 
The Vikings won in each one of those categories. We had 7.8 yards per pass attempt. We had 2.4 yards per rush, and we had a 42% third down success rate. Yep. The only area that, that really matters that we lost was the turnover, uh, turnover battle. So I think when it comes to evaluating, all right, should we be concerned? I'm not as concerned as I was after the game uh, right away. So I think there's some, some interesting things that we can improve upon. Um, I take all that uh, and agree with it, uh, you know, and this is not a new concept. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. uh, turning the ball over hurts you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. We know everyone knows that. But think about the timing of those turnovers, right? Yeah. I mean, horrible. the Vikings are going in to score at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we need to get into the debate of was the throw behind Osborne and that's why it yeah. was picked. Should Osborne have caught it? Uh, it should have been a better throw. Yes. And Osborne should have caught it. Both things yep. are true. Yep. Um, you know, what's what's also true is the timing of that turnover was just atrocious. I mean, like how you feel. I mean, the 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 disparity between how you would have felt if you score a touchdown there or a field goal there with how you ended up actually feeling because you turned the ball over and didn't score there right before the half, that is a huge disparity for yep. what that atmosphere must have been like in the locker room. I mean, you oh score a goodness. touchdown right there in the locker room at half. It's week one at home, took a lead, huge drive, end of the half, took it on the chin early, bounced back. We're, we're in the lead. We're in control, right? And now all of a sudden it's, Week one at home, big favorites, can't even beat Tampa Bay, turning the ball over, like, come on, we got to get our S together, guys. I mean, yep. that's – that's, the, and it was one play was the difference between those two realities. Yep. I completely agree. Um, so I think that's definitely something that needs to be addressed, and if I'm, I'm putting on my optimistic hat, I believe that Kevin O'Connell is very uh, – we'll call it – positively egotistical maybe if that's the right way to describe it where i don't expect yeah. him to get punched in the mouth two weeks in a row i think I he is either. going to address this immediately i think although it's a short week i don't expect us to come out looking unprepared because i think there was an element of lackluster and unpreparedness both on the coaching staff if i'm being completely honest love yep. those guys but they looked a little unprepared uh and there wasn't as much energy that was required so i expect that to be changed here uh, tonight here at thursday night football yeah i do too and you know, there's something to be said for, like, after a big, huge emotional win, there often is a drop-off from a physical performance the following week mm -hmm. due to that emotional letdown. Mm -hmm. And probably the inverse can be true. After, you like, a really disappointing, lackluster performance, it's like the next week you kind of come back and you're you're on the ball, you're sharp, and you're drastically improved. Yep. And I, I think it would be fair to expect that uh, from the Vikings this week against the Eagles. And we'll get yep. into that and talk about that when we preview the Eagles game. Mm -hmm. um, let's let's stick with the uh, analysis of the Vikings offense, though, and, and go to the more uh, uh, quantitative uh, look at it. Uh, what did PFF say? Who was standing out? Who wasn't? Uh, I know we're all hoping Ed Ingram takes a step forward, Giles, but um, did the numbers suggest that that's going to happen? Um, let's actually start with Ed Ingram before we go to the best players. Uh, okay. Ed Ingram was the second worst graded player uh, on Sunday. No surprise. Uh, not to give away yeah. too much uh, towards the top graded players, but 
the Vikings offensive line actually played pretty well considering what was put on the field. When you okay. look at Brian O'Neill, uh, you look at Ed Ingram, you look at, well, we'll get into Garrett Bradbury, Ezra Cleveland, and Christian Derrissaw. When it came to pass blocking, the starters actually played pretty well except for Ed Ingram. Now, uh-huh. obviously, uh, Garrett Bradbury went down with an injury, and we put in Austin Slotman. Uh, Austin Slotman is a backup center, so you can only expect so much from a backup center. And he's still got a 66.9 grade in pass protection, which if you were to tell me, hey, your starting center goes down and you put in your backup and they got a 66.9% or uh, 16 uh, grade in in pass protection, I'd be like, give it to me all day long because you could get way worse when it comes to pass protection as a backup center. So considering our backup played, everyone in the offensive line played very well, except for Ed Ingram. He got a 46.2 grade uh, uh, overall offensively, and he had a 40.3 grade in pass protection. Like, just abysmal. And he had the same issues that he had last year. And the fact that it's still not getting fixed at this point into his career is now starting to concern me. Before, I mean, when looking at him physically, he's exactly what you want in a guard. He Period. Full stop. He has the size, the physicality. He just makes mistakes so much. And if you haven't fixed it at this point, now my confidence level on actually adjusting that is quickly dwindling. So uh, I don't want to say I'm getting on the Dalton Reisner train, but I may be getting on the Dalton Reisner train. I think if you could bring him in and fix that, you may would instantly pop up into a top five offensive line, at least top 10, but maybe top five considering uh, what was done on Sunday. Like Ezra Cleveland, who is historically not great at pass protection, Got an 84.8 grade in pass protection on Sunday against a very strong front in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like an 84.8 grade. Uh, Brian O'Neill got an 81.5 grade in pass protection. Uh, Now, Christian Derrissaw got a little hurt uh, in, obviously had some ankle issues, but he still had a 73.9 grade in pass protection. Like these guys were all fairly elite in pass protection on Sunday, except for Ed Ingram. So uh, I think that might be time to be sounding the alarm. Well, I think it is too, Giles. And the the bottom line is the body of work is there. We're not. This is not giving up on Ed Ingram after three hundred snaps. No. I mean, this is. Did he play in every game last year? Yes, I think he did. So, I mean, this is. We're eighteen games into it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm willing to give a quarterback twenty or thirty games, you know. But a right guard, I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. After 18 games, you know, yep. <laughs> and it's not there for him. Nope. And I'm not saying cut him, get rid of him. Don't ever like, you know, burn him at the stake. Um, he can be on your team and keep developing in practices and off season mm-hmm. programs and all that. But you're trying to win the division and make noise in the playoffs here, man. I mean, yep. and when you I, have a 40, 40- Point three grade in pass protection you have now become maybe the biggest issue that you don't move the ball down the field i'd rather have a fire hydrant at right guard like just yes. put a fire hydrant out there that they got to run around <laughs> hey seriously i mean a little bit more stuff i don't know yeah. it's frustrating like that's gonna cost us games uh considering who is under center for us at quarterback so yeah uh, not a surprise but definitely something that's to be concerning so uh that's definitely on the 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 players that did not do well yeah, the top five players. Uh, I'll let you maybe take a few stabs at guessing who might be in them. But to give you a quick hint, if you would have told me before the game that these are the five players that were the highest rated uh, on the offense, I would have said we won the game hands down. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, a couple of them must be linemen then, right? Uh, one of them is a lineman. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, let's put in there Addison. 
Yep, he was actually the fifth overall graded player at a okay. 67.4 grade. Uh, he didn't do super well in run blocking, which I think is to be expected considering his size. Otherwise, I think he would have been significantly better uh, in terms of PFF grade. So he he wasn't able to quite scratch the 70 realm, but he was pretty bad in pass block or in run blocking. So okay. uh, you change that up, and I think uh, you get a much much better player. But the fact that he's in the top five is really really good. Okay, Jefferson. Uh, Jefferson was the second overall graded yeah. player to 79.1 grade. Justin is Justin. Oh, yeah, but he's so hard to handle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I, I'll say 150 yards is a great game. Don't, don't get, but like. Yeah. It was kind of a quiet one for I, him. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I think you'd come away and be like, really? He had 150 yards? But yeah. like Todd Bowles is sitting there being like, geez, that guy wore us out all day. Like, oh my God, we couldn't stop him. He's yeah. everywhere. Um, so yeah, uh, Cousins. Uh, Cousins was actually the sixth best uh, player at a 66.0 grade. Obviously, his turnovers uh, dinged him a bit. Yep. I, I thought um, Cousins, the fumble was, you know, frustrating. The Ed Ingram caused fumble was frustrating. Hard to pin that on him. You know, the pick. I just, I wonder how PFF looks at that. Do you have a good understanding of that? Like, um, I don't. That's a little bit of more of an illusionary topic in the PFF uh, world. Uh, I know it's being considered in, but I don't know the exact formula. Like, because you look at that and it's a pick and it goes on Cousins' stat line. Yep. I think it was the right read. The only thing I didn't love about it was, uh, so I honestly wondered if Cousins intentionally threw it uh, back shoulder slash behind Osborne. And I know mm -hmm. it's always easy to say after it happens, oh, yeah, I tried to throw it to his back shoulder. It's <laughs> like, oh, did you really? But on yeah. that one, if you watch it, if that ball is thrown where Osborne catches it in stride, he's going to get crushed mm -hmm. at the goal line by yep. two defenders. So I halfway wondered if Cousins threw it where he threw it on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but I really think at the end of the day, Osborne has to catch the ball. I completely agree. And I think I tend to go back to kind of the average among history to, to get a, an opinion on that and give his strengths and weaknesses any amount of time you want to talk about it. But he is, among other things, one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. So considering his accuracy, I'll take him at his word. Yep. Um, all right. So back to guessing who uh, who was in the top five. Jeez. I thought this guy was underwhelming too, but maybe he got in there. Uh, actually, now that I, I'm looking at his uh, receptions to targets, he, he he was eight catches on nine targets. So Hawkinson must be up there. Uh, he definitely was up there. He was actually the third best rated yeah. player. Uh, he was good in receiving. He was even better in pass protection, which I'm really, really excited to see, especially in a 12 personnel unit. So TJ Hawkinson did definitely made it into did, uh, the top three. Did Oliver get up there? He is coming in at number four. Uh, yeah. He had a 68.4 grade. He did even better than Hawkinson in pass protection, obviously. He's a great uh, great uh, blocker across every category. So uh, definitely excited to see what that looked like. And uh, definitely a guy that I wanted to see in that lineup in terms of a top five. Uh, because if we're going to really be going to the wall here in a 12 personnel format, we need Josh Oliver to perform. Yep. And he honestly had a few good catches. So I'm excited to see him sprinkled in a little bit more in that capacity. So, yep. uh, yeah. Yep, so it's Phenomenal. been Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson, uh, Oliver. Oliver, 
Cousins is six, so I'm missing one. It's got to yep. be a lineman, so it's Cleveland. You're missing number one. It's Cleveland or O'Neal, and I'll say it was Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland was not. He did struggle in the run game, which is another thing that we'll talk about here in a little bit. He was great in pass, was horrible in the run, which is kind of ironic. Okay. But was Brian O'Neal yeah. was the top-rated guy on our team. And more yeah. importantly, he was actually the top-rated tackle in the entire NFL. He came oh, in at really? 90, or, uh, an 86.4 grade uh, wow. across the board. He was great in run and, run and pass. Uh, he did phenomenally. played 64 snaps. I mean, people were kind of concerned coming off his injury. Like, is he going to be the same old player? He was better. Uh, he was better. Okay. He was phenomenally. In fact, uh, not only did he do great in pass protection, he was the best player on the entire team at run blocking, which is definitely something to be concerned about. Uh, we were 29th in yards per rush attempt. We did not run the ball very well. In fact, uh, Brian O'Neill came in at an 89.3 grade in run blocking. Yes. Every yeah. single other player on our offense scored below a 65 in run blocking. Ugh, that's not good. Every single person. We were horrible at run. Uh, so I think that's something that's going to have to be considered. Um, so I don't know. Uh, there's more to, to break through there. But at the end of the day, Brian yeah. O'Neill, what a stud. Uh, glad that he's on our right yeah. side. If you could put Dalton Reisner next to him, I think he'd do even better. Yeah. Um, that, that has to improve. I get it. The Vikings are not going to be what they were in 2012 when Adrian Peterson ran for 2,000 yards, but what we saw from a running game standpoint against Tampa in week one is not going to hold up all season. Mm -hmm. that, that, cannot, that cannot be what the performance looks like week in and week out. It just mm -hmm. th This offensive line will not be able to protect Cousins long enough or enough times in a game uh, you you got to be able to put something better together running the ball. Agreed. Yeah. Full stop. Um, all right. We got to talk about this Eagles game. So um, yeah. anything else we should empty out of the notebook offensively before we move on? No, I think we just need to do a better uh, job at coaching, make sure that we can actually uh, strategically get snaps in the second half. Like I said before, we were 31st in second half possession time. So we need to improve in that. We need to hold yep. on to the ball. We need to do a few different things, but uh, I think we just need to wipe our hands of it and move on to the next game. All right. Well, that next game is the Philadelphia Eagles. The game's tonight. Um, and so the focus quickly shifts to the Eagles, which in this instance is really good as yep. the Vikings come off a disappointing performance. It's nice that the focus had to shift so quickly. Uh, which it did to the defending NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles for a Thursday night game on the road at Lincoln Financial Field. Not a fun environment to travel to, especially for a primetime game. Mm -hmm. uh, Eagles installed as six-point favorites at the beginning of the week. Giles, I believe it pretty much hovered right around that number the whole time. The over-under is 49. Ruled out for the Eagles, cornerback James Bradbury, running back, uh, Gainwell and safety, uh, Kenneth Gainwell and safety uh, Blankenship. So uh, three, uh, two starters, Gainwell semi-starter along with DeAndre Swift. Um, so that's not good for the Eagles. They still uh, obviously have Darius Slay and lots of other really good players on defense, but Bradbury being out is not ideal for them. Uh, for the Vikings, they've ruled out uh, Garrett Bradbury with a back injury. Darisaw ankle, Davenport ankle, both questionable. I expect mm -hmm. Darisaw to give it a go. I expect Davenport to not give it a go. That's what yep. I think will happen. Um, 
Eagles defeated the Patriots last week. It was not a walk in the park for them, Giles. I don't know how much no. of that game you watched or if you went back and uh, assessed it at all. Uh, but Belichick gave the Eagles a run for their money. Uh, and mm -hmm. Mac Jones actually had a pretty good day throwing the ball. Uh, they couldn't get much going on the ground with Stevenson and Elliott. Um, mm -hmm. Elliott put the ball on the ground once, lost a fumble and was actually the leading rusher. So they really bottled up Stevenson well. So uh, the prospects of getting the running game going do not look great for the Vikings in this one uh, because the Eagles did a great job against the run last week. The Eagles are a handful on the interior. Uh, mm -hmm. They continue to invest uh, draft picks, draft capital uh, in the defensive line. I think they got the best player. They got the best non-quarterback in the draft in Jalen Carter. Uh, yeah. at, I think it was ninth overall uh, in the draft, yep. Uh, yep. a kid out of Georgia. So uh, that that's a handful up front for the Eagles. I know Fletcher Cox is dealing with an injury, but I think he'll play. Jalen Carter had a great debut. Um, so um, this is, this is a, a tough uh, matchup for the Vikings uh, from that standpoint. Watching the game back, Giles, and to me this is the most – intertwined interesting storyline um is brian flores the way he likes to build a defense and call a defense the fact that the eagles faced the patriots last week and now face flores this week to me is super interesting mm -hmm. because flores has got some belichick training to him yeah. and does a lot of the schematically likes to execute some of the same things mm -hmm. so what you saw a lot last week from the Patriots' defense was a lot of man coverage, a lot of pressures, a lot of zero blitz looks where it's man defense, one defender for every eligible receiver, everyone else rushes the passer. That's a zero blitz. You saw the Patriots give that look pre-snap a lot. Sometimes they came with that. Other times it was a disguise for a zone where they would drop into a three-deep zone. They'd show zero blitz, which is man coverage, and then drop into a three-deep zone. Mm -hmm. And so Harrison Smith is excellent at disguising coverage. He fits into a plan like this to a T. Yes. Um, now, do the rest of the guys? I don't. We don't know that yet. We got to see it. Uh, but I think that's going to be key uh, here against Jalen Hurts. And as mentioned earlier in the show, the problem with being uber aggressive, which the Vikings were against Baker Mayfield from a, a pressure blitz standpoint, the problem with that against Hurts is if you miss him or if the Eagles block it up, you're getting roasted by Hurts mm. on the ground. You're getting yep. absolutely roasted. So can't wait to see this chess match between Flores and Sirianni as the Vikings defense tries to – emulate what the Patriots did, but then put their own spin on it so it's not predictable. Because the Eagles obviously are going to school their guys up on, on that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, And they're going to be better against it this week than they were last week. But you still got to execute it on the field. So to me, uh, we're going to get into the five keys of victories here in a minute, Giles. But the chess match between Flores and Sirianni, I can't wait to watch that unfold. Your thoughts on that, and then overall your thoughts on the matchup. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about this game because last year they had maybe the best roster in the NFL. They obviously lost a few players, but then they gained a few players in the process. So they're still a very solid roster. But I would say 
they didn't look as good as I thought they would against the Patriots. Now, the Patriots are the Patriots. Even when they're bad, they're still pretty good considering their coach. Uh, yep. He's definitely a, a, a cornerstone in NFL history. Uh, for example, the uh, offensive line for the Philadelphia Eagles did not do well. I am very, very surprised because that would have put too. them into a top five unit category. Uh, but everyone except for Kelsey, uh, uh, their their center, did not that great, both in run and pass. Like, they really, really struggled. So uh, if that's a trend that continues, I definitely think that's something that the Vikings can take advantage of, especially if we're able to put Marcus Davenport on the field with Hunter. Um, I think... Uh, Aside from that, dealing with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown is definitely something we need to be considerate of because if you don't handle this correctly, this could get torched because I think uh, we did an okay job handling uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin against the Bucks, and I think this is a better matchup, a better pairing of wide receivers, period, full stop. They're both top 20, 20 players, if not better, right? Uh, yep. So I think that's something that needs to be very, very considered. There's a an element to the Philadelphia Eagles that uh, allows you to get counterpunch. If you try to take away the, the wide receivers, they're going to hit you with a run game. Like, and they have, obviously they have Swift um, in the, the running back capacity. So I think it's just something we need to be very, very con- uh, uh, cautious of and looking at their defense. Woof. Their defensive line, man, uh, Jalen Carter, he had a 92.1 grade last yeah. year or last week, rather. It's uh, a problem. Absolutely force. He is a guy that I am really scared about. That's actually, Something we need to be really considerate of, considering we now have a backup center <laughs> uh, playing it's... against Jalen Carter. That one might hurt uh, uh, at the end of the day today. So uh, yeah. really excited to see how this matchup goes. But I think um, although I'm never a fan of players getting hurt as a football fan, I think those injuries on the, the Eagles defense definitely helps the Vikings offense. So I think that's oh. definitely something that we're going to be able to take advantage of. Absolutely. James Bradbury, Reed Blankenship being out is a big deal <clears throat> for the Eagles. And And look. When you have James Bradbury and Darius Slay, and you're, you're like, we're good out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's nine other players now that you can mess around with on your yep. defense. And, and so now Bradbury's out, not playing. And so it takes that sort of card out, out of the Eagles' defensive hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those two injuries are a big deal. Um, <clears throat> front seven-wise, though, they're full strength and, I mean – Find me a better front seven. Go ahead. I'll wait. Yeah. Still waiting. <laughs> You're not wrong here. <laughs> Still waiting. Still waiting. This one's uh, going to get punched Jordan in the face. Jordan Davis, yeah. Fletcher Cox, Jalen Carter. I mean, Hassan Reddick. Just, it doesn't stop, man. It's yeah. such a handful. They have such depth. My yep. goodness. It's such a handful there. And they, they deserve like 12 it. Guys. <laughs> they draft for it, Giles. They draft yeah. for it. I mean, they let really good players go. And they're, they, they, let, they had to let Javon Hargrave go. Javon Hardgrave would be the Vikings' best defensive lineman. The Eagles just like let him go. Yep. I mean, he signed, with, and then and then oh, he just signed with San Francisco. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just uh, such good depth, such high end talent defensively. Um, really, a big challenge for uh, the Vikings' uh, offense. Um, yep. Speaking of the Vikings' offense. Um, before we get to the five keys here, uh, we mentioned that really excited to watch the uh, the chess match between Flores and Sirianni uh, from a mm-hmm. Vikings defensive perspective, from a Vikings offensive perspective. Um, to me, it's I know the whole thing about like Cousins prime time and the poor record and all that. I'm so far beyond that. Like, I'm not saying Cousins is the best big game quarterback we've ever seen, but like him melting down in a primetime spotlight and you not being able to trust him here, I, I am not there anymore. The oh. ball has to be in Cousins' hands here, and I'm not going to give away one of my keys to victory. But um, to me, can't wait to watch the chess match. 
with Flores and Sirianni. On the flip side, I'm very anxious to see Cousins manage. I want to see how he does managing this spot. Um, being completely outmanned up front in the trenches, but with superior tools on the outside. Mm-hmm. In a hostile environment, prime time after a loss, this is a very big quarterback spot. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to see how Cousins handles it. Yep, completely agree. I think that's going to be a real a real matchup. And I think, uh, well, yeah, we'll get into our five, five keys of victory, but there's going to be some exciting matchups. Yep. All righty. Um, so this game uh, is merely hours away now. Uh, so let's get into the five keys to victory, gals, as the Vikings uh, get ready to take on the Philadelphia Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field. We're going to alternate here uh, every other, and you're going to end this thing uh, with back-to-back keys with number four and number five. Uh, and I'm excited for number five because I think you've got a pretty fun way to sort of uh, lay it out and describe it. But we'll start with number one. To me, um, the key, uh, a key to victory here for the Vikings is to not let this game turn into a track meet. Now, the over-under is 49, and the Vikings offense can score with the best of them in the NFL, so that's not really my concern. Uh, but I think the Vikings want to keep this within the confines of a typical NFL game. It can't be blitz the Eagles like crazy and Jalen Hurts is running all over the place and throwing outside to Devonta Smith and throwing downfield to uh, A.J. Brown, and then now you have to answer. Uh, Because there are going to be times in this game where it's going to be difficult to answer because the Eagles' defensive front is just too much. Um, They have a really good corner in Darius Slay who's going to lock Jefferson up from time to time. So this cannot turn into an up-and-down, exhausting track meet for the Minnesota Vikings. You have to keep this at a respectable pace and try and find a win this game via a standard score like 27 to 23 or Mm -hmm. 28 to 21 it's got to be something like that this can't be a game where both teams are in the 30s because I don't think you survive that on a short week at Lincoln Financial Field against Jalen Hurts yep could not agree more and then moving on to the second key to victory you got to hold on to the ball. Uh, I think <laughs> that's the number one reason we lost the last game, and that will definitely be why we lose this game if we do. Uh, you got to keep the, the ball in the right people's hands. Uh, full stop. That is a discipline issue. You need to make sure that you're holding on to it. You need to make sure you're making good reads. Uh, you got to throw it to the right person. Uh, full stop. Got to hold on to the ball. Don't, don't create turnovers. Number three, uh, we stick with the offense. Uh, number three in keys to the game is to lean on the quick game, Giles. Not seven-step drops against this pass rush, against this defensive line. Not long, circuitous, winding routes that you're trying to break open against Darius Slay in the secondary. Get the ball out very quickly. It goes out quickly to Hawkinson. A quick slant here to Addison. Um, you know, A crosser to Jefferson in space. Get the ball out to your backs. Use your tight ends. Manage the game. And really, the quick game can be tiring for a pass rush. Because it's line up, rush the passer, ball is already out. Okay, do it again. Line up, rush the passer, ball's already out. You get frustrated, you get exhausted. I think that's the best way to mitigate and neutralize uh, this pass rush. It's the best way to mitigate your disadvantage from a trenches standpoint on offense. Cousins managing the game and getting the ball out quickly to a variety of receivers. Make them tackle Vikings pass catchers in space. And that thing 
uh, directly leads into the fourth key to victory, and that is specifically do not lose in the trenches. I'm not saying you need to win. There is definitely a dominant force when it comes to the Eagles defensive line, but you need to make sure you don't lose. At least just hold up for a little bit. I mean, as an offensive lineman, you are always going to lose. You just want to lose slowly. So can we lose a little bit? <laughs> Uh, you know, less fast than we usually do. So yeah. I think uh, when it comes to both sides of the ball, we cannot lose to the trenches uh, if we want to at least be a considerate player in this game. So full All stop. Right. Yep. And, and then, now number yeah. five, what you number got? five. So this is kind of a dual point um, for two different players that need to have a good game for us to be successful. So let's start with the defense. And that is specifically someone that uh, no one had heard of really going into uh, this, this upcoming season. Ivan Pace Jr., undrafted free agent, did phenomenally in the past game. I think he needs to play 007 here. Uh, I think when you look at the Patriots game, uh, the, uh, the, the team was able to, uh, to really take advantage of the middle. Uh, up the middle, uh, the, you know, there were some really good options there. But I think uh, Ivan Pace Jr. needs to play 007 and spy on, on, on uh, Hertz. I think he okay. needs to be able to be, contain him. I think he has the speed for it. I think he's a guy that's going to be the, the X factor in this game that shuts down Hertz. So if we try to blitz a lot, I think you need to have um, Ivan Pace Jr. playing spy in order to uh, contain him. So Love that it. needs to happen. So Ivan Pace Jr. needs to play 007. And TJ Hawkinson on offense needs to play Superman. Uh, uh-huh. You know, talking more about up the middle when it comes to the Patriots uh, Eagles game. That's where they just absolutely took advantage of it. And I think uh, if you look at the, the time that the Vikings played the Eagles last last year, the team really sold out to stop Justin Jefferson. And if they take that strategy again, which I think that they might considering they won last time, I think Hawkinson is in for a huge game. And I think he needs to, if we want to put up a W on this team. So I think uh, Hawkinson needs to play Superman and Ivan Pace Jr. needs to play 007. Love it, Guile. So to recap the five keys to victory for the Vikings against the Philadelphia Eagles tonight at Lincoln Financial Field. Number one, don't get into a track meet. Keep this to a respectable score. Number two, turnovers. Don't do it. Hold on to the ball. Protect the ball. Number three, lean on the quick game. Get the ball out. Get the ball out fast. Frustrate the pass rush. Make them tackle your playmakers in space. Number four, don't lose the game in the trenches. You don't have to win the game in the trenches, but don't let it be a train wreck and a disaster in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And number five, you need Ivan Pace Jr. to spy on Hertz and play the role of 007. And you need TJ Hawkinson to be Superman as the Eagles cast their gaze onto Justin Jefferson and try and take him out of the game. We need TJ Hawkinson to play Superman. And if the Vikings can do all five of those things, they're going to play the role of Houdini and escape Philadelphia with a victory. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Giles, we talked about this earlier uh, in the offseason, and I think it remains true right now. Week three is a huge game, man. The the Mm -hmm. Chargers game is the first biggest game of the season. Mm -hmm. And I say that with a primetime Thursday night game against the defending NFC champion Eagles right on the doorstep here, I I think it remains true. The Chargers game is the big game, and here's why. You lost against Tampa in week one. You lose this game against Philadelphia. People kind of expected it. It's not panic Mm -hmm. time. You know, people kind of Mm -hmm. expected it. You're 0-2, which is sort of panic time, but no one's going to write you off because you lost on a short week on the road to the Eagles. And then you beat the Chargers, and you kind of write the ship. You're one and two. Um, you can make something happen in the season still being at one and two. Um, conversely, if you win here against the Eagles and you do write the ship, what what more awful way to lose momentum than to lose at home to the Chargers? 
Mm-hmm. So no matter what happens tonight against the Eagles, the big game is next week against the Chargers. And I'm not saying that tonight's not important. I'm not saying sit Derrissaw and Davenport because you need them for the Chargers. You still wins are wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the season, they don't they don't ask you how you won. They ask you how many wins do you have. Yep. So you still want to win the game tonight. I'm not throwing it away. But the first biggest game of the season for the Vikings is the Chargers game next week. That's a gotta have it game. All hands on deck. And you really need it. Um, but we'll see what happens tonight, and, and we'll have time to preview the Chargers game uh, next week. Before we get out of here today, guys, we got to go through uh, some other things that happened in the National Football League, and specifically the NFC North last week. So let's quickly go through the rest of the NFC North, week one and week two, thoughts and observations. Green Bay throttles the Bears at Soldier Field in week one, Giles. Um, yeah. People thought the arrow was pointing down on Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers departing, and they thought the arrow was pointing up on the Bears with Justin Fields uh, having perhaps, um, you know, the definitely the biggest game of his career was last week, right? Because people are expecting him to emerge. And then it go, kind of goes the opposite way, right? Mm-hmm. Green Chicago went down, Green Bay is now arrows <laughs> pointing up, right? So um, – Interesting there. I'm sure it was demoralizing for the Bears fan base and as if the Packers fan base needed anything else to be proud of or excited about, uh, Jordan Love throws three <laughs> touchdown passes and they win in week one. So uh, anything surprising or concerning or notable from uh, those developments at Soldier Field last week? Uh, I think you mentioned it, specifically Jordan Love. I was yeah. not a fan of him and more specifically, I met a lot of Packers fans that were also not feeling the love. But I think Jordan Love shoved it all in our faces. Uh, yep. Now, obviously, one game sample size. But if he can continue that on, I think uh, the NFC North has quickly become one of the most competitive divisions in football, uh, if that's the case. Because other than the Bears, the Lions obviously did great, which we'll get to here in a second. Uh, but between all those teams, uh, not a great scenario for the, the Vikings to be able to make an easy cakewalk through the NFC North. Yep. All right. Let's move on to Detroit. They kicked off their season uh, with the NFL's kickoff game last Thursday night against the Kansas City Chiefs, and they pulled off an upset. Now, no Travis Kelsey, no Chris Jones. That matters, mm-hmm. um, but still, it was a victory for the Chiefs and a mom- or for the Lions and a momentous one at that. They now go to uh, they now go back home and host the Seattle Seahawks. Um, so uh, Kansas City in a very good position to start the season at 2-0 and with an impressive win against the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Are you writing that win off and not paying it much mind, Giles, because Kelsey and Jones were out, or are you looking at that Lions win, and I'm not going to say you're trembling, but are the Lions a bit more formidable than maybe uh, we were hoping they would be? I think both things can be true, but I'm – I am definitely a fan of the Lions now as a football fan. Like, they are legit. Now, I think the biggest question mark going into the season was their head coach. I know they believed in him, but was he strategic enough to be able to beat the best minds in football? And clearly it happened. Now, if Kelsey's on the field for the Chiefs, do they win? I don't want to say absolutely yes, but it was still a ball game. Like, obviously, yeah. there's a lot of different uh, game of inches scenarios that happen in football, and they were in the game, right? Uh, I think there's yeah. definitely an opportunity for that to happen. Now, I think there's a lot of scenarios in which Chiefs players drop the ball, which uh, obviously can come, become an issue. So I think there's a chance that the Chiefs do win the game, but they were still in the game as as the Detroit Lions. So I think they're definitely going to be a team to beat. Yep. Um, and then uh, Chicago now losing at home to green bay they're the they're the the team we haven't talked about yet here uh in the nfc north chicago going to tampa bay in the precarious position uh of being zero and two 
to start a season that everyone had high hopes for. Um, I, Detroit probably going to be two and zero. I would suspect. Um, Green Bay has already defeated you. Mm-hmm. Looking at zero and two, the way the Bears are right now. It's like a gotta-have-it game for them here at Tampa Bay. They're three-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road at Tampa Bay, a team that just came off a big win over the Vikings in week one. So um, it's getting late early for the Chicago Bears if you lose this game, right? Yep, seats are starting to heat up. Uh, I think if you go 0-2 or even 0-3, I think people are going to really start wondering, should we have traded the number one overall pick? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, Okay. Who to keep an eye on in the NFC this year, Giles? Well, we did this last week. Let's just go back and review who we said, and then let's see how they did in week one. Um, we we declared the favorites to be the Eagles and the 49ers in the NFC. They both won. The Eagles less impressively, but they did win. They beat the Patriots. Uh, yep. Difficult opponent. The 49ers very impressively. They, they, they went into Pittsburgh and stomped the Steelers, yep. who I think have one of the better rosters in the NFL. Um, so good, good for them on that one. Uh, we then went into who are people too low on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said Seattle. Yep. Uh, they lost to the Rams at home in week one. So wah, wah, wah. <laughs> by a fairly decent margin. <laughs> yep. Uh, you which mentioned, is a little surprising. Yeah, it was. You mentioned Carolina and Houston, which I appreciated because you're going out on a limb a little bit there. Uh, unfortunately, they both also lost uh, in <laughs> the, week one. The, so the limb definitely broke. <laughs> uh, Everyone else was right for being too low on those teams. We were wrong for giving them a chance, at least in week one. So we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the season for those teams, though. Um, And then lastly, before we get to our predictions for Vikings and Eagles, uh, other news notes and nuggets from around the National Football League. Week one injuries, man. (laughs) Aaron Rodgers, what a bummer. I mean, seriously speaking. There's people listening here and – there, some of them are going to despise Rodgers because they've gone against him for so long. Some people are going to respect him because they've gone against him for so long as Vikings fans. No matter what your perspective is on that spectrum, you have to be disappointed and feel bad for Rodgers, don't you? Oh, my goodness. This was his year. Like, Terrible. If there was any year in his entire career to go win a Super Bowl, this was the yeah. year. Uh, and what? Three plays in or whatever it was. Yeah. like Just horrible. Four, four plays, yeah. Or four plays, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it is. I think he'll come back and play next year for the Jets. Um, I, I do think that'll happen, and I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. It was such a cool moment, though. I mean, it was you know the 9/11 Remembrance Weekend. It was Monday Night mm-hmm. Football. It's Rogers running out of the tunnel with an American flag, and just mm-hmm. after hard knocks, and it was awful, man. Uh, yeah. Just a you know, you just injuries are part of the game. So I'm not going to say we're, we're cheated because we all know injuries can happen at any time to any player, but. It's just a lot of great drama and that we miss out on now with no Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, so disappointing. Uh, Ravens, tough injury for them with J.K. Dobbins going out, also with an Achilles. Uh, the Browns lose a starting offensive lineman and Jack Conklin with an ACL, MCL. He's out for the year. Cooper Cup to IR will be out for the first four games. Chris Jones back with the Chiefs. He signs a contract. His holdout ends. And uh, it looks like Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews will both be back on the field this week for their teams. Kelsey, probably a bit more certain. Andrews, I still think 50-50, but I think he'll be back. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Dallas. 40-0, to zero, Giles, over uh, your New York Giants. I'm sitting there going, this is the team that came to U.S. Bank Stadium and won a playoff game, and look what Dallas is doing to them. 
Giles, <laughs> like Brian Dayball, the Giants head coach, is really good. Like he knows yep. what he's doing. Yep. Brian Dayball and his staff could have taken the week off and tapped Wobbs and Giles to come in there and coach the team for a week, <laughs> and we, we would have done better than 40 nothing. <laughs> what the hell happened? I think they're maybe regretting giving all that money to uh, Mr. Daniel over there. That did not go well. My goodness. I think uh, they may have uh, stepped in it, (laughs) figuratively speaking. I think they are in for a rough season. I I honestly, ironically speaking, thought that the Giants were maybe the team that were a little bit false last season. I'm like, ah, like they're not a complete team. They're really good in the run game. But when it comes to pass, they were not that great. And I think this was an area where that got showed up where I think both things can be true. The Giants did not play well, but the Cowboys also played phenomenally. Or at least Uh, defensively they did. (laughs) There is some run of statistics that I saw where a team scores 40 points against you. A team has a block kick against you. A team has a return touchdown against you. Like it was a bunch of these things. And it was like no team in the NFL had all of those things happen to them during the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Giants had all of those things happen to them in one game. In one game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Tell me uh, you're unlucky without telling of, me you're unlucky. <laughs> yeah, one of my buddies pointed that out to me. I'm like, geez, that's an unbelievable stat. Um, all right. Um, we, New York yeah, is very unlucky across the building. I guess. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Uh, predictions for the games, and then we're out of here, Giles. Um, we were both wrong last week. We both picked the Vikings to beat the Bucks last week. Um, I picked them to win rather handily. I don't remember what your score was, but I, I went like 34-21, something like that. So I was way off on that one. Uh, I hope I'm wrong on this one too, Giles, because I see a 29-21 victory for the Eagles tonight on Thursday night football and an 0-2 start for the Vikings. Now, I think they will beat the Chargers next week, so I'm not panicking at the 0-2 start, but I do think there are some within Vikings Nation who will be uh, upset at an 0-2 start, and I'm afraid that's what they are looking at as they go to Lincoln Financial Field tonight and face an Eagles team uh, that I think is just going to be too much for them in the trenches. Mm -hmm. And Jalen Hurts is just – I think he's going to manage the game very well, and – he's going to guide the Eagles to enough points to win this game. What do you think is going to happen? It pains me to say, but I think the Eagles are going to win. Uh, We obviously went through our keys to victory, and I think the one that's really going to bite us is the trenches. I think we are not in a position to win in the trenches here, uh, unfortunately. And I think it'll be a close game, but I do think the Eagles win it. I think it'll be 24-27 Eagles. Uh, I think if we're able to win in the trenches, I think it's a different, different outcome. I think... Every other category, I think we can win, but I think the trenches is where we're going to lose, and that's really going to cost us the game. So I do think it's 24-27 Eagles. Yep, 24-27 Eagles win is Giles prediction. I'm on the record at 29-21, and hopefully we're wrong. That'd be great. Uh, mm-hmm. We're disappointed we were wrong in week one because we picked them to win the game, and uh, we're, we're hoping we're wrong here in week two. Either way, we're going to be back next week to talk about it, break it down, and then preview the Vikings game against the Los Angeles Chargers. Eric Kendrick's coming back to town, Giles. Yeah. Uh, him and the Los Angeles game. Chargers, uh, who they also dropped uh, their week one game at home yeah. to the Miami Dolphins. It was Dolphins. a close one, though. Yeah, it was a close one and a fun one in the Dolphins, man. Woof. Oh. Glad they're not on the schedule this year. They look like a handful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. What a speedy team. Like, yeah. I think the the top five fastest plays in the NFL, two of them were Tyreek Hill, and the other one was Waddle. Like, just, just an absolute track team. 
Yep, absolutely. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. You can like, subscribe, and follow the Wobcast 2.0, and you can do that wherever you find all your other favorite football content and podcasts, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, we're on YouTube. So if you're not checking us out on YouTube, make sure you go and do that. You can watch and listen and join the conversation as well. On behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Vikings, Eagles tonight. Wobcast 2.0 early next week. Excited to break it all down, hoping for a Vikings victory. Until then, on behalf of Giles, signing off, Skull Vikings.